welcome to Blizzard Watch, the podcast where we talk about Blizzard Entertainment and its games. I'm Matt, the host, and with me this week is my fantastic co-host, Anne. We've just talked about it for a while, but let's talk about it again. What have you been up to this weekend? Um, a little bit of World of Warcraft. Animal Crossing, actually. They just added a new thing to Animal Crossing. You can have a cabin now, as long as you're level 15. So now you have the campsite that you can decorate, and you have a cabin that you can decorate. And the cabin's like... It's this a one-room house. One? Yeah, yeah, it's a mobile one. It's a one-room house. But you can put all your furniture in it, and you can invite the animals into it and stuff, so it actually works as like kind of a secondary campsite, and I'm super excited about it. Have um, they announced an, uh, an Animal Crossing game for the Switch yet? Like, I don't yes, remember if it's coming. Yes, okay. it's coming in sometime next year. Um, I all don't right, think cool. they gave an actual date. They just said 2019. But, yeah. Um, I'm really excited about that. I do not have a Switch yet. I Someday I'll be able to afford one. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much where I am. Or I'm, yeah. I'm like thinking, you know, if I could just find a place that would buy some organs, I, I could get my wife a Switch. Yeah, I don't really want to, like, you know, or, you it's, know it's just if one of those... Diablo Immortal residual money would just come in, <laughs> I could buy a Switch. Yeah, I, I, thought about, I thought about getting a Switch... And then I realized, no, this is probably a good time to be conservatively, like, fiscally, just hang on to, because, yeah, finances are tight at the moment, and, yeah. So it's like, nope, okay, I'm not going to get that yet. But it's okay, because, like I said, there's a cabin in Animal Crossing Pocket Camp, and I'm really excited about that, and thought that was pretty cool. Um, There's also, like, a different thing that you could do where you can, like, favorite a picture and put it on your profile and all this other stuff. So I just put my um, uh, Flamingo Summoning Circle, which, if you've never visited my campsite, (laughs) you don't know what I'm talking about. But if you visited my campsite, you know exactly (laughs) what I'm talking about. So, yeah, I put a photo of that on my little profile thing, and it's great. So, um. Yeah, uh, other than that, mostly been, you know, cleaning around the house, rearranging things, getting rid of stuff I don't need, um, building a lamp or trying to. uh, I got the wrong socket. I got to go to the hardware store. Maybe I'll do that tonight. I don't know. We'll find out. But yeah, building a lamp is a lot easier than you would think it was as long as you have the right parts for it. It gets tricky when you have the wrong parts. (laughs) Well, you've built your own computer on a couple of occasions. I would assume it's probably simpler than that. On a couple of... I've been building my own computer... Gosh. I can't remember when I started building my own... I think I started building my own computers like early 2000s. Um, I just remember then, you were talking about it um, like two shows ago and then like I think about five shows before that. Yeah. You were talking about uh, building computers. So The last computer that I got, I got one that was just pre-built because um, I just don't have the time to actually monkey around and put all the parts and pieces together. It is something that I really like doing, though, because it's like putting together a puzzle. And when you're done with the puzzle, you get the Internet. (laughs) So (laughs) that's pretty cool as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, it's not that hard, guys. It's just plugging wires into other things. And making sure things line up and also making sure that you don't, you know, hit the thing with static because then it will never work. Um, That's about it, though. Like I said, that's something you don't have to worry about with a lamp. But we should probably talk about some of them, their top stories that we talk about here on this, their podcast. I don't know why I'm suddenly talking like a prospector. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Do you need some fringe? No. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) First up, um, Overwatch's Winter Wonderland is coming is it already out or is it coming soon it is in theory coming soon um i don't 
think I think they've uh, said that it should be like December 11th through the 31st, but that's like a conjecture. I don't think that they've actually like announced the dates officially, as far as I know. But um, they're going to have the Winter Wonderland event, the the Yeti Hunt thing, and the May Snowball Offensive. Offensive. Those are coming back again. Um, but they've also said, Kaplan said that this year we'll have a new winter themed map. I don't know what that's going to be. We haven't heard anything about that. But um, the other thing is there's speculation that there's going to be a new skin called figure skater. So maybe there will be like more of a figure skating theme. There will be new skins with this event. I mean, there's new skins every year. So I'm really kind of looking forward to seeing what those are going to be. Um, there was a shirt that went up on the Blizzard store that had people wondering about it because it looked like Zenyatta in a Nutcracker skin, right? Well, in the back corner, there was Junkrat, and he looked like he was made up to look like the Rat King from the Nutcracker, if you're familiar with the Nutcracker at all. So a lot of people are wondering, is there going to be a Junkrat King skin? like to go along with the whole nutcracker thing theme or you know is there going to be more like ballerina type stuff or widowmaker is she going to get like a snow queen variant is there going to be like a bunch of figure skating stuff what's going to come out we don't have any details on that yet i'm assuming that we'll probably hear something i would i would guess by like the end of the week or middle of next week because it, well, yeah, it's if, if coming right up the, yeah yeah if the, if the 11th is the date i mean we know the 11th is also going to be um, the next it's patch for eight point one for WoW, isn't it? Right, right. So yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be tight if they're doing they're doing them both on the same day. Yeah. Jeez. So yeah, you'd think they'd have to do some they they make some kind of announcement by next week. Yeah, that would make sense. I would assume that they're gonna make some kind of an announcement about it by next week. So that should be entertaining. Um, regardless, I love it when they throw out the new, like the holiday theme skins and stuff for whatever holiday it happens to be. Um, I don't mind that Overwatch has like the same holidays every year because they always add a little bit of something new to it. And I sort of wish that World of Warcraft would adopt the same thing because the most we get out of the new World of Warcraft holiday is it's like, oh, here's a new pet or, oh, here's a new toy you can purchase. But there's no actual like changes to anything Whereas Overwatch, they'll like introduce a new map for they'll introduce, you know, they'll give you something different to do, give you a different place to look at, that kind of thing. And we don't quite see that same variety over in World of Warcraft. Yeah, like I've always thought, I've always thought it would be kind of cool if, like, say this year, okay, for for uh, Hallow's End, you're going to get a new transmog item, like a new staff. For uh, Winter Vale, we're going to get a new pet. For for like you know whatever the New Year's End thing is, they 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 have like a the fireworks festival in February. I believe it's the Chinese New Year I mean, Lunar Festival. The Lunar Festival now you'll have a new mount for that and rotate them around so every year like each holiday got a different something. Just because yeah it, it, they are pretty stale. You they, know what they, I they, would they... like for Winter's Vale? No. Guess just guess guess what I would like uh, in World of Warcraft for Winter's Vale? A dagger? Yeah. <laughs> But we're not going to go there. Instead, we're going to continue. To, or, or the ability to transmog my dagger to look like literally anything else. You know what, Blizzard? I love that you're making fist weapons transmogable on swords and things. How about daggers? Because we literally can't make them look like anything but daggers and I'm bored. Okay, moving on. We're still talking about 
Overwatch, and I feel like we should talk about this other Overwatch thing. We mentioned it really briefly last week that there were uh, Brigitte. There, there's some nerfs coming to Brigitte. It's one really gigantic nerf that we're looking at. Her shield bash ability, the damage from it is being dropped from 50 to 5. Yeah, that's yes, huge. that is a dramatic drop. Um, shield bash. It used to be. It was basically like an opening move that they would use because shield bash has the ability to stun basically the way that shield bash works is it stuns the target that's struck by it and it inflicts a small amount of knockback and if it interacts with like reinhardt's charge doomfist rocket punch um bob from ash or even another shield bash both heroes get knocked down um but it can go through barriers and through genji's deflect or deflect ability like the ability that he has um and it's not it's not a long stun it's a short stun but it's it's enough of a stun and it's enough damage that in that if you're playing like a really weak player with not a lot of health you know somebody that's a little bit squishy like a tracer or a genji you open with shield bash everybody piles on and they're just gone like immediately um so when she doesn't have that initial front of damage that's a really big thing that's a really, really big nerf. That's a bigger nerf than you would think. So I don't know how that's going to work. I really don't yeah. know how that's going to work. I mean, I've, I've heard people talking about how it's possibly going to be the end of her in combos. Because yeah. people are going to have to come up with different comps to try and figure out, you know, a different way of playing since they can't use the, the shield bash to set up a, you know, really big pylon to kill somebody immediately. Well, and to be fair, you know, being stun locked right out of the gate or being stunned right out of the gate and unable to do anything makes it not much fun for the person who is playing whoever just got you know stomped okay yeah, I get that yeah, I get that it's not fun for them at all because it gives them no chance to react whatsoever and no chance to fight back at the same time that was one of the attractive things about playing Brigitte was that you had the ability to pull these kind of moves and without that I'm kind of wondering how much we're going to see her in competitive like how much we're going to see her even in league like Overwatch League when season 2 starts up I, and I don't know if they're going to start season two, like what build they're going to start season two on, if they're going to start it with the Brigitte nerfs already in place and everything. But I'm wondering if that's going to affect whether or not we actually see her a lot in that in, in those matches, in that kind of matchup thing. So I don't know. We're going to have to wait and find out. If you're a big fan of Brigitte, though, I'm sorry. <laughs> and you might want to uh, go check her out and see if there's like if she's still somebody that you really want to play yeah and... i mean definitely worth being aware of uh really quick another thing to talk about this one's actually a world of warcraft thing we already knew this was happening but it's since it's going to be in a week or two at this point we feel like we need to point this out when patch 8.1 drops they're putting in heritage armor for both the blood elves and dwarves complete with the quest that you, you do a series of quests to unlock the heritage armor I don't think you need rep with anybody. I think you just do the quests. No, you need you need, re you need reputation with your respective like, faction. Okay, so you need to be exalted with Silver Moon if you're a Blood Elf, or you need to be exalted with Iron Forge if you're a Dwarf. And quite frankly, if you're not exalted with those, did you boost? Because that's probably the only way that you're not exalted with your own faction right now. Um, if you yeah. are not exalted for whatever reason with your own faction, 
go buy a tabard because you can buy tabards that will give you reputation for that faction as long as you're fighting in a dungeon um, where you gain rep for somebody else. So the easiest way to do it is grab one of those tabards, slap the tabard on, and go, I don't know, go solo some Mista Pandaria dungeons or something. Yeah, I think you it's could probably hard. do, you could do Cata ones too. Yeah, you I could think. do Cataclysm ones easy. Easy, easy. Yeah. So And you just do that until you're exalted, which shouldn't take you very long. It'll you take you like keep... an hour. <laughs> it doesn't take long at all. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but... if you've been wanting to see the... People have been talking about the Heritage sets for a while. If you've been wanting to like get a chance to get those for those you know, those two races, it's coming in like less than two weeks. So yeah, cool what thing. I appreciate is with the Blood Elf one, there's two different versions of the Blood Elf one. There's one that has a robe bottom, which is really pretty. Don't get me wrong. But they also offer pants... So you can choose the pants option if you want to, if you don't feel like wearing a robe, which is pretty great. Um, What's going to be funny is every caster is going to wear pants. Yeah. And every plate, every plate class is going to wear the robe. <laughs> I guarantee you. Every plate class. Because look at how much transmog people will go through just to get a robe. Yeah. Uh, you know, for, for plate classes. I've got I mean, one. I have a moment, handful so. of leather skirts because I like the way they look <laughs> and leather robes Wait, because I like the, the way they look. Yeah, you've got the Undead Slaying set, which looks like the Paladin armor. So oh, yeah. No, the... I've got the one that looks like the, is it Tier 2? Yeah, it's Paladin uh, Tier 2. Tier 2, yeah. It's a Tier 2. It's a Blackwing Lair set. Um, The one that everybody always used to wear. I don't know if it's quite as popular now. Because they've had so many good, good sets come out that everybody's using the other sets. But this one was like peak Paladin back in the day. And yeah, when was it Wrath of the Lich King? I think it was Wrath of the Lich King. When Wrath of the Lich King came out, the uh, intro event for Wrath of the Lich King had um, some stuff going on with the Argent Dawn. And you could kill mobs and get these pieces of armor sets that were like the bless set of blessed undead slaying or something like that. And they all looked like a version of Paladin tier two. It's teal and silver. I want to say like teal and kind of yep. cream colored and silver and black. Um, and it one dropped for every armor type. So you could get it on cloth. You could get it on leather. You could get it. You could get it. Everybody looked like Paladins. It was pretty great. So yeah, I still have those pieces. I actually have the cloth set on my priest too. And it looks exactly the same, but it's cool because I'm like, I can make them look like paladins. Anyway, that's why I like stuff like heritage armor, though, because it's like, ah, oh, here's these cool pieces that are just like specifically crafted to look like this screams dwarf or this screams blood elf. Now, mind you, when you earn these heritage armor sets, you can only use them on a blood elf or on a dwarf, respectively. Correct. Yeah, it's the same as with the uh, the it's Allied just like, Race Heritage sets. Yeah, the Allied Race Heritage sets. So yeah, you have to have a player or a Blood Elf or a Dwarf that is at level 120 to start these quests. But the quests are actually pretty cool because it's like a little mini storyline that you play through where you go through it and you learn a little bit about the history of that race. And it's kind of a neat lore moment. And those are, yeah, those are coming in Tides of Vengeance, yeah? Yep, Tides of Vengeance. So in like I think the eleventh, like we said, couple of weeks, weeks. couple of weeks, yeah. So, uh, last thing um, for before we start moving on to some emails, there was a anonymous like article about Blizzard from ex Blizzard people that we kind of have to at least mention. Uh, it was I read it and I wasn't tremendously excited by it. It didn't feel it felt like you know I don't know how to talk about it. It was a Kotaku piece, so 
you know, take it what it's worth. Yeah, they interviewed 16 Blizzard employees, but those employees wished to remain anonymous, so they couldn't actually, like, say any names or source anybody entirely. Um, yeah. And there was a lot of stuff that they went over. Yeah, and they talked about, you know, more about Diablo Immortal and why Blizzard is really... This isn't a cash grab. Blizzard is really into this idea. And because at Blizzard, people play a lot of mobile games. And we found out... Um, one thing they found out that was just mentioned kind of like that they wanted to do some kind of like a Pokemon Go, but for WoW. And I'm sitting there going, please never do this. Please, how many, please how many, God. How many years have I been saying that they should have some kind of mobile yeah. battle pet and game? I've been saying this years, like since they introduced yeah. the battle pet system. And how many years have I been saying, please don't, so I can get away from WoW occasionally in my life and not About be the playing same. it constantly? About the same. Yeah. Well, now you don't do pet battles anyway, do you? But it's not just pet battles. It was going to be all sorts of stuff. You, you read the thing. He's, they're talking yeah. about it was going to have all these other features. I'm like, oh, God, no. It's going to be wow on the go. Oh, God, I'll it's never do it. It's so great. I, yes, I'm, I, am, I am terrified um, by this idea. I'm actually kind of looking forward to that because I do play Pokemon Go, right? Um, I like it. I enjoy it. It's something to do while I'm out and about. But I don't play it a ton because I live in a rural area. And because I am in a rural area... There aren't as many, like, my house doesn't really have Pokemon anywhere nearby because I'm on a mountain in the middle of nowhere. And I guess the way they distribute these things is they distribute them off of points from, um, what was that other game? Ingress? I think yes. was the yeah. original game. Ingress was, yeah, Ingress yes. was their first game. So they were using the points that they had established, like the uh, uh, geological points that they had established for ingress they converted those over to pokestops when pokemon go came out so that you could wander around and you could find these pokestops at like you know highly trafficked areas and that kind of thing well that would work great if i was living downtown because there's actually a lot of pokestops downtown i'm on a mountain though there's nothing up here so and there's not even any like wild pokemon up here there's just nothing up here so if i want to play i have to go downtown and I will do that every now and again. My sister and I will go downtown. We'll walk around downtown, spin stops, catch Pokemon, do all that stuff. But um, I'm kind of hoping that whatever it is that Blizzard is developing, it's something that will one-up that. And it won't forget about the people that live in the middle of nowhere. Because there are a lot of people who live in the middle of nowhere. Um, yeah. Mountains are a thing, guys. Small cities are a thing. Maybe don't forget about the people in the small cities, and that would be great. Um, yeah, see, I, I live in a really weird place where mm -hmm. there's like a million people. There's a million people living in Edmonton. Edmonton's a large city, but then you go five minutes outside of Edmonton, and there is nothing. Like it is, it is. Canadian cities don't have suburbs. They have the city, and then like maybe a tiny strip of like small towns around them, and then farms, and then wilds like you go you go an hour in any direction you're in the you're in like the wildlands so it's kind of like las vegas sort of kind of but if, if las vegas had like herds of bison everywhere like yeah no it just has goes, desert <laughs> yeah. my wife goes down like it's an hour drive south and there's like a nature preserve with like bison herds and like moose and all that stuff and like you know wolves and coyotes that's like you know in any 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 an hour in any direction from here you go like two three hours you hit jasper which is the mountains um so it's it's a little of both like we have like there's poker stops here because the west edmonton mall is like right there like when i've i've been to like when i used to go to wow midnight launches when i would buy the you know we'd, we'd get the game overnight just as it was released that there were like lots of places to do that in edmonton but then like again you drive an hour and nothing so 
it would be nice for people who don't have access to that kind of thing. I agree. But I'm, I'm just saying that, that if Blizzard would like to, this to be a success, I mean, they have all the bits and ple- pieces in place in game already. Like the, the, the pet battle system is really fun. And I enjoy doing pet battles. Do I do them all the time? No. It's one of those things that I usually save for when I don't have anything else to do. I'll go do pet battles because that's kind of fun. But, you know, other things take priority in-game as far as that goes. So it's kind of like an end of the expansion activity. I go around and I do dozens and dozens and dozens of pet battles all over the dang place. And and try and collect everything that I missed. That kind of thing. Um, Blizzard's got that part down. They've got the interface down. The interface is actually pretty nice. And I could see that working in a mobile capacity without too much difficulty. Where they could totally, like, just knock Pokemon Go off the throne is if they make that thing accessible to people no matter where you happen to be. Make it so that it's not dependent on whatever geography you happen to be living in. That's kind of like the key point to me anyway as somebody who would definitely play that game if I could play if I could play that game from my house or you know by taking you know walking up the driveway which is like you know quarter mile long or whatever to go get the mail and catch pets along the way if there was something besides nothing in my immediate area so I didn't have to drive 20 minutes to go find anything I it I'd drop Pokemon Go in a heartbeat are you kidding me (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's generally speaking, I've yeah. always been afraid of that. So, yeah. But all right, uh, we've pretty much covered the top stories because you know, after BlizzCon, you finally get the lull. Um, so at this point, I guess we should do some emails. Uh, if you've got an email for the show, please send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast or Blizzard Watch, so we know it's for this show. Uh, Anne reads them for us, so if you don't mind, Anne. Okay, our first first email has actually like three different questions in it, so we're just going to go down them question by question if that makes sense sure does okay all right so this is from sun tiger who has says greetings and has three questions the first one says saw someone mention what if mechatork became the lich king in the queue that seems absolutely terrifying with mechatork's intellect it seems like we'd get an unholy union between necromancy magitech and quote unquote regular technology akin to the necrons from the warhammer 40k thing can you think of anyone more scary as a potential Lich King? Um, quite frankly, I was going to say I can think of someone more scary in that Mechatork, not the Lich King, just deciding he's going to conquer the world would be Ooh. scarier to me. Yeah. Because Mechatork could do it. It's like, Mechatork is held back by his curiosity and his not being particularly aggressive. Like, even in the, the upcoming raid, Mechatork is mostly just talking smack. He isn't really... Like the, the the fight that he has is much you can you can tell he's restrained. He's not going all out. Uh, he doesn't Gnome's exhibit a lot of malice right off the yeah. bat or anything. So a Mechatork who actually decided, nope, I'm going to take over the world. He'd be scary as heck. But in terms of scary Lich Kings, I mean, I, I honestly, I'm pretty scared of what Bolvar is going to get up to. I've said this from the beginning. The difference between Bolvar and Arthas was Arthas was a hero. Like he wanted to be a hero. He wanted to like save the day and come up with a way to save his people. Bolvar was a soldier. Bolvar understood things like, you know, acceptable losses and strategic thinking. That's one of the reasons Sylvanas is so scary. Sylvanas 
is terrifying because she actually understands tactics. You know, Bolivar the was, was kind of a hero too, though. I mean, I yeah, don't, but he you wasn't... remember the Anixia chain. Oh yeah, but he was a hero in the sense of did heroic things. It yeah. wasn't his identity. He was humble. No. Yeah. Arthas thought of himself as a hero. He wanted to be a hero. Bolvar was self-sacrificing. And now that he's dead, he's not self-sacrificing, but he knows sac- he knows how to make acceptable sacrifices. You know what I mean? He he knows, okay, I want to win this objective. I'm going to have to give something up to get it. What do I want? What am I willing to give up? Whereas Arthas was all about proving stuff. Like as the Lich King, Arthas was very much about proving, no, I didn't do anything wrong. What I did, anybody would have done it. You know, young hero, I was once like you, you know, he, he was all about trying to prove that his decisions were right. Bolvar doesn't care about proving his decisions are right. He cares about results. You know, back back when he was alive, his results were save the day, stop bad things from happening, kick a whole lot of dragon butt in this throne room. Now that he's Lich King, I am terrified to see what he's going to get up to. Um, I have one other suggestion who's kind of like a step up and narrowly avoided this stuff like twice. And that would be Tyrion Fordring. Because Fordring was a powerhouse when he was alive. Like when he came back and, and joined the Argent Dawn and did all of the things with the Argent Crusade and everything else, that dude was so dedicated to the light that took a lot of concerted effort to kill him and even then he wasn't quite dead dead um i think that if the death knights had actually risen him from the dead and made him one of the four horsemen i think he probably would have been one of the most dangerous beings on azeroth and i think that if he took the amount of devotion that he had to the light and turned that to that other place the lich king place oh we'd be in a lot of trouble and we're yeah. really, really, really lucky that Bolvar stepped in and said, yeah, no, give me the hat. You don't need the hat. I'll take the hat. Because if Tyrion had taken that helmet, we'd be so... No, things would be bad. Real bad. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. There is another character that we're kind of not talking about because she's sort of got her own thing going on and she's already pretty dangerous. Yeah. But I think Sylvanas is another possible... Oh, absolutely. gotten the hat. Absolutely. And we're see- we're seeing now that Sylvanas is more than capable of, you know, just killing everybody on her side and then raising them. It's, you know, acceptable losses right there. So, yeah, there, there are quite a few people who'd be bad. But, for, yeah, for, that matter, be... for that matter, Tyrande or Malfurion, both would be kind of terrifying prospects. Tyrande, right now I'm scared of Tyrande just yeah. by herself. I, don't, I know. She doesn't need to be the Lich King <laughs> to scare me. So. <laughs> Malfurion's interesting because people always... I feel like Malfurion kind of got a reputation as being Captain Neutral, and people forget that this is the guy who decided, okay, we got to stop this portal. Uh, it's probably going to blow up the continent if I do, but yeah, got to break a few continents. Like you know, this is the guy who who looked at that situation and said, yeah, we're going to do this. I really appreciated that cinematic that we got. Oh yeah, um, yeah. That where he actually like showed just what he was capable of because I'm sorry, you know, you can talk about Malfurion being neutral as all get out and you'd be correct. But when you make that dude mad, that's when you're lying on the ground helpless while vines just drag you into the earth and he's just standing there watching it happen. (laughs) That bit 
My God! Oh, they, they oh, made him a so horror good. movie villain. It was so good. Yeah. It was so good. Um, and, and that was the Malfurion I've been. Yeah, that's, that's a Malfurion I've been waiting to see. That's the one I've yeah. been waiting to see. I was so excited. So yeah, I think he would make a pretty terrifying Lich King too. Come to think of it, so you know, yeah. there's a lot of horrifying prospects out there. Varian would not have been a good one to get. Mm. If he, he wouldn't have been as scary in the sense of his malevolent plan. But yeah. On the field of battle, he on would the have field been of battle, utterly been... terrifying. Same thing with Saurfang. Dude... Saurfang yeah. would be just absolutely devastating on the field These of battle. These are dudes, you know, Saurfang has cleaved like entire insect armies. Varian killed a fell reaver by himself and not your ordinary fell reaver either. That, that fell reaver that Varian killed was like big enough to destroy an airship with one hand. You remember when, when uh, Legion was still in beta and I went up and I tried to parlay with that. <laughs> yeah and it stepped was... on me like without even thinking yeah varian killed that <laughs> so yeah there are quite a few choices but i'm i'm definitely not taking anything away from mechatork because yeah mechatork i don't know how much i'm not necessarily worried about him coming up with new technology i am more concerned about like imagine a giant wicker man made out of azurite and like festooned with dead things that's the kind of thing i can imagine you know mechatork coming up with like a Voltron of corpses. I, I yeah. Can you imagine if Mechatork decided to like embrace Drust, like Drust magic? Yeah, because they're all about constructs. That would just be terrifying. Ooh, that'd be awful. Anyway, I think we're kind of lucky just that gnomes in and of themselves are mostly benevolent and get along with people. Because I, I feel like gnomes would be really scary or could be really scary if they weren't like if they all as one decided to just turn against the rest of the world, that would be creepy. It'd be really creepy. Yeah, I, I agree. Anyway. All right. Next question from Sun Tiger says, what three places in the world would you like to see Overwatch maps from? What do you think, Rossi? Uh, well, I mean, I have been playing a literal ton of Assassin's Creed, so I would like to see something like set in an old Greek ruin or... Or well, we got Ilios like, already, you know, but yeah, I mean like an old Greek ruin, like not anything new. I want like you know falling apart stuff. But um, the thing is, they've put in a lot of stuff I would already say, like like Antarctica. They, they've got a base in Antarctica. The moon, they got that. Um, so I could say something like Rhode Island because no one, everyone would be like, "What's in Rhode Island?" And I'd be like, "Yeah, see, Providence has this like whole watercourse park, and it's really cool. And you have no idea what I'm talking about." See, I um, I I was going well initially when asked this question way back when I said Thailand would be a really good prospect, and then they came out with a map in Thailand. So thanks. Um, the other options that I had listed were um, I would love to see something in Iceland with like you know all of the like volcanic sort of areas, and then the Northern Lights above, and I think it would just be really pretty, and I think Iceland has, like, a lot of grasslands and stuff, too. It'd just be really... Greenland slash Iceland, somewhere in that region, I think would be really nice. Um, alternatively, I would love to have a map in the ruins of the Swiss headquarters, where uh, Morrison and Reyes supposedly quote-unquote met their end. I think that that would be great, because that's also provides an opportunity for them to tell that little bit of history, and kind of illustrate that little bit of history. Um, and I would like to see... Well, heck, I'm just gonna say it. Like, apparently Soldier 76 
went and raided Watchpoint Grand Mesa, which is the, the Grand Mesa is one of the three mountains that surrounds the area where I live. Um, I live on one of the other two mountains that are in the area, but I can see the Grand Mesa from my house because I'm on one mountain. I can see the other mountain on the other side. Can we get a map on the Grand Mesa? Because that'd be really cool. <laughs> It'd be like playing at home. I don't know. <laughs> It'd be cool. I'd like to see that. But um, regionally speaking, I think they've hit they've hit a lot of areas that I really, I don't know. I can't think of any areas. I think... I think maybe, hmm, visually speaking, I'm trying to think of like some more areas that I would really like to see. Some of Eastern Europe, I think Eastern Europe is like really pretty. There are certain scenic areas and stuff that would be really cool. Like hit up, I don't know. Does Austria count as Eastern Europe? I think it still does. Uh, it's kind of Eastern Europe, but it's also kind of Western Europe. It's sort of in the middle. It's in the middle. I'm not sure which side because that map gets kind of like redrawn every couple of years or something like that but Austria is very 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 pretty um Switzerland is also very 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 pretty and that would be kind of cool that's why I said you know the Swiss headquarters I think it would just be neat anyway yeah okay and um New Zealand New Zealand would be neat too because it's beautiful oh no we're not country. going to Mordor I'm sorry no come on <laughs> it'd be really pretty Okay, uh, and then the third question here: What religions are Diablo drawing inspiration? From? What what religions is Diablo drawing inspiration from the most? Zoroastrianism, I hope I said that correctly. Mithras worship, Astrian beliefs. Has it been mentioned? Keep up the good work, Sun Tiger. You're the Diablo person, so do you know? Well, they, I mean, they talked briefly about it, but they never actually said we're cribbing from this. But just by looking at it. It's there's um there's little tiny bits from Assyrian slash Babylonian in that the names of Anu and Tathamet are clearly inspired by Anu and Tiamat. Uh in the actual um, Assyrian slash Babylonian slash Sumerian mythos, Anu and, and Tiamat are mates. They are they're not fighting, they're they're married, effectively. And they're the quote unquote old gods that get overthrown by their own descendants. Uh, the the actual thing that they do in the game with Anu and Tathamet it's a little Zoroastrian in that, you know, they have like these two opposing forces that are both created by an older force that is neither good nor evil. That's, that's pretty Zoroastrian because you've got um, Zervan who creates Araman and Horus and Horus Mazid and, uh, or Mazid is usually how it's said in the, in the East. That's, that's fairly Zoroastrian. But if you actually look at the system, it's basically a mixture of Manicheanism and Gnostic uh, Christianity over a veneer of Zoroastrianism because the angels devils thing, that's straight up. That's medieval Christianity. That's what that is. I mean, it's, it's not even subtle. Uh, the angels and the demons, they just took God out of it essentially. And uh, in terms of the good evil struggle, that's not really old school Zoroastrianism. Zoroastrianism was about corruption and the physical world being corrupt and the world of spirit being pure. But it wasn't as simple as good and evil. That's Manicheanism. That's that's what that is. So that's what I would say. That would be my answer to that question. Okay. All right. Um, next email here doesn't actually have a name attached to it, but it is kind of an interesting question. It just says, so what's going to happen when someone tries to make a Dota custom game in Warcraft 3 with Reforged? I don't know. I've been, <laughs> ever since I saw this question, I've been like, I have no idea. It's I, like I assume a, it won't it's like work, an Ouroboros of, of of game development. <laughs> I 
I assume Warcraft uh, 3 Reforged is not going to just be Warcraft 3 with new graphics layered over it. I assume it's actually new code in a new game. Because it looks like a lot more change. You can't just spruce up the graphics. No. This, this is something where they have, they've had to recently redo the whole game. So I'm assuming that the old stuff won't work. Well, Does I imagine that, like, because with Warcraft 3, I mean, that was working on a much, much older system with older, older code. So I'm assuming that they just had to update everything to work with current systems. Yeah, I'm, I'm, my assumption, and I don't know, but my assumption is that they've actually written a new game. Yeah. So um, And it's like they use the likely. old one as a template, but they kind of brought yeah. it forward. Yeah, exactly. Because so, you can't just, I, it's not like... Um, well, I know they were talking about the development of WoW Classic and how they decided it, they had like a systems panel on this where they were talking about, well, it wasn't a systems panel, but it was it was a panel where they were talking about how they brought World of War. I can't talk today. How they brought Classic and, and, and made it up to date. And what they did was they essentially like took the databases from the old system and fed those databases into a current iteration of the game and then just started tweaking from there. You yeah, can't like they had do to actually that. adjust it. Yeah. Yeah, you can't do that with Warcraft 3 because there's no updated version of Warcraft 3. It doesn't exist. What you have yeah. is what was. So, yeah, they probably had to rewrite everything from the ground up and I mean, they had the base code there to use as a template and they had the base databases there, I'm sure, so that they could like figure out how everything worked and, you know, how it was programmed, take a look at it and then just like it's like translating languages almost, I guess to a degree i'm wondering what they're running it on like yeah how they these are all it. things we don't know yeah like we, we we know that it exists we've seen demos of it but we don't know anything about that so i've to answer your question we have no idea we do not know yeah um i know that they had mentioned that people playing the original warcraft 3 will be able to play with warcraft 3 reforged players if i remember correctly so like it'll work across versions which is astounding um yeah. but i mean I if they're know, both I using they're doing that if they're both using the battle.net framework then yeah i can kind of uh, i don't know they're ma magicians over there they really are i can't wait to see this like as it progresses i i can't wait to see like more of this until it comes out i'm still on the fence about whether or not i want to get it um simply... i want to get it purely just so i can see the cinematics yeah that's, that's the only gonna... reason <laughs> Because the thing is, is I am really bad at RTS games, you guys. <laughs> like, they're just not my bag. Did I go through and did I play them all? Yeah, I played all of them. Um, I played very terribly, and I wasn't, like, I by the skin of my teeth on the easiest settings possible, specifically so that I could get all the story from it. That was pretty much why I played. Um, it wasn't for the gameplay, because I'm real bad at the gameplay. <laughs> But yeah, um, I'm kind of thinking that I, I really want to see the updated stuff. So yeah, I don't know. I may have to pick that one up. All right. Next email also doesn't have... This is from sent from my iPhone. <laughs> that's, that's it. It doesn't have a name attached to it again. But uh, this one says, Greetings again, favorite WoW podcast people. I have had this theory now for months that Sylvanas will become a world character after Battle for Azeroth. I think she will become the Queen of Death slash Shadowlands and be the big bad of the next expansion or the one after. Thoughts? From sent from my iPhone. I'm just going to say this as somebody who has in the past said pretty negative things about Sylvanas. I don't, Sylvanas is not a person I would like. Like she's an evil maniac. 
But as a character, she makes the Horde way more interesting. And I would kind of dislike it if she ended up going off to be the next big bad or the big bad down the road. I kind of hope at the end of this, she's still around and still in the Horde. I know that that might be me just being crazy unreasonable, but I do kind of hope it. Because she does make the Horde... The Alliance lacks the character like her. She's divisive. She stirs up things. She makes problems. And that means she makes drama. And drama's good for story. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you think I'm crazy here. I, I'll, no. Um, I actually... I think that having a character... The, the problem with Sylvanas is that she is a really super intriguing character and she gets away with a lot and she gets away with a lot specifically because she's a faction leader. So there's no, technically speaking, from the beginning of the game until, oh, I don't know, Miss of Pandaria, if you were a faction leader, you were pretty untouchable unless, you know, a raid of opposing faction players came through and killed you for an achievement. But like, story-wise... You didn't get, you got touched a little bit. You got to move around and do stuff starting in Burning Crusade when Thrall made that journey to Outland and that started that whole Garrosh thing, right? But other than that, you didn't really have a lot of bad things happen to you and you could get away with a lot. So Sylvanas was one of those characters where it's like, is she evil or is she just kind of evil? Or is she just completely misunderstood? We don't know. But the thing is, is you kind of knew that she was doing shady things all along and the rest of the Horde leadership were almost kind of turning a blind eye to it. So it's sort of fascinating that they're that, that she's actually getting that attention now, especially since she's been put in the spotlight like she has. However, it's like <laughs> Blizzard has shown that they those those faction leaders are not untouchable anymore. I mean, how many of them have we had die? We had Bane, we had Vulgen, we had Varian. Who else? There's been others, hasn't there? Well, others? I mean, you know, we had Varian, obviously. I said Varian. I mean, there was Bane, Vol'jin, Varian. Uh, there... Well, the the Horde has lost Garrosh. I mean, you got to count Garrosh. Okay, leader. yeah, Garrosh. Um, you, um, you can count him too because he was head of the Horde for a while. Not Bane, excuse me, Karen. Yes, sorry, yeah. discreet in the chat channel Mag said you mean Karen. I'm like yes. <laughs> There's Magni. I don't know. He was. Oh, Magni. Magni was or... removed from the picture, and we didn't know whether he was alive or not. So he was just kind of like taken out of the picture entirely, and then they had to come up with the whole. That was the other one I was trying to think of because, of course, he's back now, but he's not back in a leadership capacity. He's back because he's having a chit chat with the planet that he's sharing with us, which is nice of him. Um. So these faction leaders, they're no longer untouchable, right? We can do things to them. Bad things can happen to them. Good things can happen to them. They are just as susceptible to the whims of story and plot design as any other character in World of Warcraft. I appreciate that, but I don't know. It's like, I don't want Sylvanas to get away with what she's done because what she's done is a level is on a level of horrible that we haven't really we've only witnessed like once before with the whole Theramore thing, right? Yeah, um, I agree there. And and even then, I would argue that maybe this is even worse than Theramore because this wasn't just one settlement or outpost. This was a faction capital where all of this one particular species, the night elves, lived. Like they were all there, um, and she knew what she was doing. So it's like 
you don't want her to get away with it, but you don't want the character to go away either. Because the character does serve a really interesting purpose, and she is in a really interesting role. And the things that are going on with her are still mysteries that we haven't solved yet. And going in and punting her out of the way and just making her like a loot pinata next expansion, I don't think that that serves her very well. It didn't serve Garrosh very well in the least when he got away, went to Draenor, and then promptly got killed by Thrall, you know. I, I thought yeah. that there was a lot more to Garrosh that never got told. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, and, and I don't want Sylvanas to end up the same way because I think that that would do the character a tremendous disservice, especially since she's so beloved by so many people. So it's like, well, yeah. what, what are they going to do with her? I don't know. It's an interesting puzzle. The thing, yeah, Sylvanas is one of those, those characters where if you love her, you really love her, and if you hate her, you really hate her. There's not a lot of, eh, I don't care. See, the thing is, is like, I'm on like two different levels with her. I hate the things that she's done in game, but I totally love her as a character because they need characters like that. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing you always have to keep separated. Yeah. Is the difference between an evil person and a bad character. She's, she's flat out just one of the most diabolically evil people in the game, Yeah, but she's not a cartoon character. She has reasons she does things and they're fascinating reasons. She's an interesting character. And Nothing she's done has been out of character for her. That's the thing that you, people are like, oh, this is totally out of character. I was like, no. It I'm isn't. actually working on really a Know isn't. Your Lore about that right now. But yeah, um, so I'm not going to go too far into that. But yeah, I totally agree with you on that front. Um, actually, the next email here, let, let me go ahead and read the next email because it kind of ties into what we're talking about already. And this is from Shad, who's a Blood Elf Prop Pally from Hijal US. He says, hello, eyeballs of all things frozen. One of the Blizz team, Muffinus, I think was discussing the future during WoW, What's Next, at BlizzCon, and he referred to Sylvanas's quote-unquote evil plans. While I think we can agree that her actions to this point have been evil, do you think that comment tipped Blizzard's hand about where the story is headed? Or was it just an expression? Also, what storyline does not end with a fight against Sylvanas for control of the Horde? And that last question there, Shad, that's a really good question. And it's one that I've been kind of trying to untangle in my head because I feel like that's the storyline we're going to have to go with. Like, we're going to need to fight with her for control of the Horde because I don't think that she can sit there at the top. I don't think that Sourfang is willing to let her sit at the top. And I'm pretty sure that Bane is not willing to let her sit at the top. Um, And I don't think that Lorthamar's or, like particularly happy with her either he's just going along with her because she's you know the leader of the horde and yeah i don't know what do you think rossi i don't i don't know either it's one of the situations where i almost want to see what they could possibly come up with because i mean for one one thing the alliance is going to attack like there's just the alliance is more aggressive now than they've ever been Desire lore is a big attack that's the alliance attacking a horde ally. Not even the horde, a horde ally. A horde ally that wasn't even cemented in their allegiance yet. Um, and for all that Anduin wants peace and is trying to create a situation where they can get out of this, it's pretty obvious that he's sort of got the tiger by the tail here. He doesn't dare let go. He can't back down and give the horde an opening. 
And the thing is, is as far as Anduin is concerned, yeah, Anduin wanted peace and he wanted peace for the longest time. And he thought it would be just as easy as everybody putting down the pitchforks and getting along. And what he's been learning in that first, you know, year or so of leadership is it's not that easy. It's never been that easy and it's never going to be that easy. And there are, you know circumstances here Sylvanas is one of those people that is never ever ever going to compromise and is never going to agree to get along that's just not how she operates she's not alive <laughs> yeah she's her, undead her goals, yeah her goals and, and motivations are completely alien to a living they're so person. far elsewhere and and I loved the whole reason that I loved Before the Storm is because Before the Storm was basically Anduin trying exactly what we thought Anduin would try to do the second he came into leadership, which was hold out his hand and say, okay, everybody join hands. Let's go dance in the flower fields and everybody be happy because that's what I want to happen. And Sylvanas let him know in no uncertain terms, no, this is not going to happen. You can hold your hand out all you want. I'm just going to turn and walk away. Not only that, I'm going to like kill a bunch of people on the way out the door. You know, it, it's, it's, it's one of the, and Anduin has to come to terms with that. And it's Anduin having to grow up like that and kind of shove away those things that he was thinking, you know, when he was younger, when maybe he was like a little more idealistic and rethink his whole game plan. He still yeah. wants the same thing. He still wants peace between the factions. Don't get me wrong. But if peace between the factions comes at the cost of the alliance itself, uh-uh, there's no way he's going to go for that. Yeah, because it was one thing when he was the prince. He could be the voice for, like, you know, the most optimistic, idealistic scenario because the king was there to reject it. Like, Anduin was free to go, no, I must explore Pandaria. No, I know the Horde has honor. No, I must explore, you know, that was fine because Varian was king. But now Anduin is king. And there's nobody there to do it but him. I mean, sure, Gen would object if he came up with something, but Gen can't, can't gainsay him. You know, if Gen's like, that's not a good idea, he can't win. Like Anduin can automatically say it doesn't matter if you think it's a good idea. Gen is not it. in the position yeah. of authority anymore. He's not in that position. Varian was in that position of authority. Varian's yeah. not there anymore. Yeah, it's Anduin. Anduin's job is to put his people first. And that's he a may- lot. That's a lot yeah. to deal with because Anduin's only what, like eighteen? I think he's like nineteen at this point. He's but yeah, eighteen, he's... going on nineteen still. The he thing is, a young, is it's young a man. lot. It's a lot. And Varian Varian became king at eighteen too. But Varian also became king after Stormwind had been rebuilt and after the Alliance had been successful at defeating the Horde yeah. in the second war. So he had he had his own issues to deal with, yes, but it was on nowhere near the level that Anduin is stepping into. Anduin is Anduin's reign is much more like that of his grandfather's, uh, Barathean, not Barathean Lane, in that he's a relatively young king because because Lane became king after his father died during a troll war that was like maybe five years before the uh, invasion. Yeah. So Lane was a young king, but not as young as Anduin is. But he's the only one that had the experience of this calamitous thing is going on, and I have to lead during it. Uh, Varian eventually had that stuff happen but when he became king when he was a young man his kingdom was at peace the orcs had been dealt with 
He was uh, free to go romping through the countryside trying to find Corona, and that's what yeah. he focused on for a lot of it, to the detriment of everything else going on. Because then that whole stuff came up with the with yeah, the um, class. Yeah. the the Stonemasons Guild and everything that came up with that. Yeah, but and of course, you know, having a black dragon in human guise on your advising council probably not the best thing in the world, but it was yeah, still take kind note, of Anduin. It was still a fraction. It was still a fraction of what Anduin... I mean, Anduin was just shoved into this in the middle of a war against the Burning Legion, you know? Yeah, and now he's got this big global war against the Horde, and these are, these are not situations where he can put... He can't put his ideals over the lives of his own people. So here's the deal. I don't think that the storyline is automatically going to end with a fight against Sylvanas for the control of the Horde. I don't think that Sylvanas is particularly invested in being in control of the Horde. Sylvanas has, like, different priorities. And yes, she is ushering the Horde through this thing, but she's also made it kind of clear, particularly in the battle for Lordaeron, that those members of the Horde, she doesn't... They're arrows in her quiver, which um, there was a Sylvanas short story, Edge of Night, where she was talking about the Forsaken and how the Forsaken were the arrows in her quiver. And by the end of the story, she realized that the Forsaken were much more than that. They were, you know, she she was, she was needed to protect them and she needed to keep them from the same fate that she saw. She needed to keep them from that eternal darkness that, that came after that final death or whatever you call it. Um, the rest of the Horde, she doesn't care about them. They are the arrows in her quiver. And once they are spent, she will raise them and they will swell her numbers and she will have more Forsaken just like she wanted all along. This is her way of getting more Forsaken. This is... she was, She's been on this hunt here to find a way to... Because Forsaken don't procreate, right? There's no, there's no... There are no Forsaken children. The only way to make more Forsaken is with the Valkyr and with some convenient dead bodies. Well, guess what she doesn't have right now? Convenient dead bodies. Well, guess what she's getting because of this war? A whole heck of a lot of convenient dead bodies. So yep, that's a big part of patch 8.1, by the way, guys. Yeah, so there's there's a lot going on here as far as Sylvanas is concerned. I don't think she wants control of the Horde. I think she wants more Forsaken. And being in control of the Horde is helping her in that quite a lot. Um, and I don't think that the storyline is something that's going to end with a fight against Sylvanas for control of the Horde. I think that she would totally give it up if she had the upper hand. If she had enough Forsaken, if her Forsaken outnumbered the Horde that remained, she would drop it in a heartbeat and go, yeah, here, you guys can have your remains. I'm going to take my people and we're going to go do evil things or whatever. I don't know. There's a bunch of different ways that the story can go and not all of them ends in a fight against Sylvanas. You know what I mean? Yeah. For that matter, we don't even know like what the ultimate end of this expansion will be. So no, we don't. It's very well possible that you know we will be fighting like a walking mountain with tentacles by that <laughs> point in time. We don't. We have no idea. So we may be in Nihilatha. I don't know. Where I guess we'll find it out. Certainly seems at least somewhat possible considering what was coming in eight point two. Yeah. Well, anyway, we're out of time. So that's going to wrap it up for emails, and that's going to wrap it up for the show, too. Blizzard Watch. It's made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. And your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Thank you very much, Anne. Uh, again, if you have an email for the show, please send it to 
podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast or blizzard watch so we know it's for this show this has been the blizzard watch podcast thank you guys so much for listening and we'll be here next week